Well, I think Chip Kelly has got great ideas for what to do with college football. I don't think anybody's going to listen, though. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and Pac-2-dominated and beloved and loaded Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Chip Kelly transfers and some signing day talk across uh, the teams here that still technically remain as we play out bowl season in uh, the Pac-12. So Chip Kelly spoke before he uh, went out and got a pretty solid win in the L.A. Bowl and snapped the Pac-12's uh, 0-2 streak of that bowl that was launched in 2021. Ends the year 8-5, and but it was his comments before the game against the Broncos, the Mountain West champions this year, that had everybody's attention. It was making the rounds on the internet and was talked about on you know shows like this or similar ones. And I wanted to bring it up today because I think he's got some great points. So Chip Kelly's thoughts on college football are that NIL, Portal, and you know realignment, that it's all a problem. And the first thing he says is probably his best point. He said that you know, our football team is going to play in the Big Ten. That shouldn't mean our softball team should have to do that. It should not be that the softball team has to do all this extra travel and whatnot. That's more extensive because they play more games, so they're in places for longer. They shouldn't have to do that. They should be playing in a conference against USC, Arizona, Oregon State, and the like. I fully agree with that. And he thinks that football should be independent of the rest of the sports much like Notre Dame is. Notre Dame is a football independent at the FBS level. And the rest of their sports, men's and women's basketball, soccer, whatever you want, they compete in the ACC. And it's his view that that's how everybody should be because football is different. You keep the funding going through to the universities so that the money that, that football makes can pay for the rest of the sports within the athletic department. But football should be separate. And then he argues, and that's a great idea, by the way. And he thinks he should have 64 teams at the FBS level. Not that he's thought about this, of course, which was a pretty funny quip, I thought. You should have 64 teams at uh, the Power 5 level, 64 at the Group of 5 level, and those be kind of your two separated off branches. You can still have games that get played between you know the Power 5 and the Group of 5 teams. But... I think under that proposal, he's saying you'd have separate championships. You'd have separate national championships. You'd have a group of five champion. You have a power five champion. I don't know if group of five schools would be as open to that. They'd probably prefer the current model. That, you know, that detail, less important though. Then he goes back to the regionality component where you should have seven games against teams that are in your geographic region. So essentially the conferences, this would mean the PAC 12 would you know, de facto be saved. This would be great for Oregon State and Washington State too, 
because they would likely be included in this model if everything is under one particular umbrella of just FBS Power 5 college football. So then he would want it structured, according to Coach Kelly, like the NFL, where this division plays this division this year. And the next year, this division is going to play that division. And then the next year, this division is going to play another division and it rotates around. And you have certain matchups that are protected every year. That would be games against teams we currently know as the Pac-12. And then you would incorporate matchups against teams that would be in what would formerly be known as the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the ACC or the SEC. And you'd sprinkle them in here and there. And you put all of that under one television rights contract. And everybody gets the same amount. And then he wants to pay the players as well because he thinks the schools should pay the players because they are the product that people actually care about. And that's not a discussion I'm diving into on today's show. I think fundamentally what Chip Kelly is talking about is correct, that that would be a great model. You could restore regionality. You could, of course, keep Oregon State and Washington State from being left behind, which they should not be. You could allow football to be what it has always been, which is different than the rest of the sports while still being essential. You could have less travel costs, fewer travel costs rather, for all the other sports because they don't have to do all this insane travel. Everybody wins in that scenario. Here's why it'll never happen. I'll never say never. Here's why I am highly skeptical that Chip Kelly's ideas are going to be implemented in college football. What has happened in college football specifically, not in college basketball where the NCAA still runs March Madness, the NCAA when it comes to football is relatively toothless. All they can do is go and tell players that they can't transfer twice and play. Oh, wait, no, sorry. They can't do that anymore either. All the NCAA can do is suspend coaches for a recruiting violation. That's, that's all they do when it comes to college football. If you pay close attention, you'll notice the college football playoff is not saying the NCAA college football. No, 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 no. That's because it isn't. This is not NCAA 14, the video game. This is the college football playoff. You know who runs that? Television networks and the conferences. So because the NCAA, as a centralized governing body, lost control over the sport, it became too big and too powerful for them to oversee. They said, okay, you know what? We have these conference commissioners. Let's let the conference commissioners run the show and say, you operate your conference and you operate your conference and you don't have to have the same standards. You can play eight conference games and you can play nine and we're going to treat that as the same sport under the same umbrella. And everyone's got different scheduling priorities and the SEC and ACC get late season cupcakes and all this sort of stuff. Everything is unique and it's not centralized. There is no governing body because the NCAA said, no, nah, we're not, we, we, we can't really run the sport anymore. And they're all in on March Madness, which to be fair, they do run very, very well. Well, what then happened is college football continued to become more and more popular because it turns out America is a sports crazed country and television has given the access and the age of mass media has provided the access to as many people as possible. So the television ratings just go up and up and up and up and up. So when the NCA has ceded power to the conferences and the commissioners, the commissioners have then said, well, it's in our best interests financially, which is what most of them are in it for to begin with, to give the power to the television networks. And so as a result, you have the college football playoff that is not directly affiliated with the NCAA and is instead tied into the conferences. 
There are no NCAA tie-ins to bowl games. There are just bowl games that have tie-ins with conferences. College football operates essentially independent from the NCAA. So the powers that be are the television networks and the conference commissioners. Now, here's why I am doubtful that the conference commissioners, or rather why Chip Kelly and his great ideas are just going to have to keep talking about them and not actually get to see them come to fruition. The people who are running college football, you know who some of them are. You don't know who a lot of them are. They have attained money, power, and influence over a sport that is doing nothing but ascending in popularity in American culture. Do you think that they are going to willingly give up that money, power, and influence? Yeah, I've got my doubts. Congress people rarely step down from office. Even if people look at them and say, whoever, whoever it might be, they might look at a congressperson and say, ah, that individual probably shouldn't be in Congress anymore. And, and, and then when that person just keeps running and running and running, you're, you're kind of looking around going, what, what, what exactly are we doing here? Well, that's kind of what we're doing in college football. You look at the people that are running the sport and you go, why are you making these decisions? Why are you? There's one individual in particular who's a perfect example of this. FanDuel is a perfect example of something you should do right now. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. You can bet college bowl season over there. Cal did not look good against Texas Tech. UCLA for the first half did not look good against Boise State, but they came back and covered in the second. So my spread picks there on bowl season so far, one and one, which is kind of par for the course based on uh, how I've performed over the last couple of years. But if you think you can do better, FanDuel is the place to go. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, kick off the NFL season and get your college football gambling fix as well. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. The individual who is a great example of why this is all so convoluted and messed up is the chair of the college football playoff committee, Boo Corrigan. I agree with the committee's decision to put in Alabama over Florida State. I'm not here to rehash that. I can have that opinion and also fully recognize the absolute lunacy of discussing Liberty's admission to the Fiesta Bowl over SMU because Liberty had a 13-0 record and SMU had an 11-2 record and beat a top 25 team. Liberty has no such wins on their resume, but because SMU is 11-2, Boo Corrigan came out and said, quote, well, Liberty just continued to win. Dude, what are you doing? I understand. I've been on live television before. It's hard. It's not so hard that you can justify saying something that ridiculously ignorant and insulting to a particular fan base in college football when you are someone who's heavily influencing the sport. And going back to, you know, there are people who are running the sport that you don't know about or don't know super well. Off the top of your head, what can you tell me about Boo Corrigan other than he's the chair of the college football playoff committee? 
Me neither. That's all I got. I I have no idea, frankly, what his qualifications are. But I've heard that Joel. I've heard Joel Clapp make this point, and I think he's absolutely correct. You have people on the college football playoff committee that are athletic directors or administrators at universities. Their jobs are far too multifaceted for them to be regularly paying attention to college football. They can't possibly watch enough games to make informed decisions, and that is often reflected in the way that the College Football Playoff Committee votes for certain rankings. It has been the case for several years. And so I think that for for, for college football as a whole, you have all these individuals that have attained money, power, influence over a sport that is wildly popular. Who's going to force them to give that up? The NCAA? Nope. Chip Kelly's ideas sound so good. You know why? Because in many ways they are good. I agree with a lot of what he is saying. But who's who, who's going to go to those commissioners and say, all right, guys, let's throw in the towel. Let's allow for an executive commissioner. Who's that going to be, by the way? I have absolutely no idea. I'll throw my name into the ring, but you never know. So I, I just look at that that structure. And the way everything's set up and say, who's got the enforcement mechanism to force those commissioners and TV executives to give up the power that they have? The the influence they have over the sport. Who's going to do that? I don't know. I, I, I don't see that happening. So I think Chip Kelly's ideas sound great in theory. I think they're fantastic in theory for a multitude of reasons, as I talked about earlier on the show. And if you have more questions on it, drop them in the in the YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. All of those ideas I think are fantastic and could be really good for college football. How do they get implemented? I just don't think they do. Wish they would. Don't think they will. All right. Let's go to the mailbag here. This question from Bud. Without any hard data, I get the feeling that the trend in college football head coaches is moving younger and younger, such as Dan Lanning and your doppelganger at ASU, Kenny Dillingham. Fact check true. When wearing a suit, Kenny Dillingham and I have a striking resemblance. And I must say he's a handsome devil. You see what I did there? Do you see what I did? Okay, never mind. I suspect this is due to the ever-changing environment, including NIL, transfer portal, social media relating to players, et cetera, and the coach's ability and willingness to adapt and change. On the other hand, Nick Saban at 72 continues to be at the top of his game. What are your thoughts as to if this is actually the trend and what does the future hold? Hiring young coaches is always the trendy, hip, feels like the right thing to do. It doesn't mean it always is. But to your point, Bud, it it comes down to mindset and mentality because there have been coaches who have felt like they've been passed by in the college football world or in any sport, frankly. Greg Popovich in the NBA feels like the sport has passed him by. They haven't been good in a long time. Bill Belichick in the NFL, sport has passed him by. But Nick Saban, conversely, he seems to be doing all right. He, in fact, seems to be doing phenomenally well. I think there is something to younger coaches being more media savvy, having more energy, and you know, understanding the importance of NIL and player empowerment and how to adapt to that. Old heads tend to be more rigid along those lines. You've seen this in college basketball, too. So who's retired from college basketball in the last several years? Jay Wright at Villanova, Hall of Famer. 
Mike Krzyzewski, Hall of Famer. Roy Williams, Hall of Famer. What do those three guys have in common? Did they stop knowing basketball? No. I think that those guys got tired of dealing with NIL in the portal because it is a new component to their jobs, and they've done it their way for a very long time. And they don't want to do it the new way. And I don't blame them, by the way. It can be an absolute hassle. The the schedule for a college football or basketball coach at a major school is absolutely bonkers. It's insane. And recruiting kids can be a pain in the rear end. It absolutely can be. That's the trade-off, though. If you don't want to make those adjustments the way that Saban has, then guess what? It's probably time to think about what golf course you want to be a member at because that's the way the world works. And if you're not doing those things, you're going to get left behind. But I don't think it's exclusive to coaches of a certain age. Dabo Sweeney is more old school. He's definitely older, but not, you know, he's kind of in between, I think, you know, Saban and the super young coaches like Kenny Dillingham or, or Dan Lanning, but so too is Kalen DeBoer. Like I think Kalen DeBoer, let me, let me figure out their ages real quick. Kalen DeBoer is 49 years old and Dabo Sweeney is 54 years old. So those guys are five years apart. Which one feels like they're more in tune with the modern world of college football with NIL and the portal? You think that five years is making a difference? No, some people are just wired differently. I think that's what it comes down to, and that's why some coaches succeed and uh, and others don't. This question came in from user that dash PJ3S7MX6U. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that YouTube generated that for you uh, on its own, and you didn't come up with that particular combination of letters and numbers there, but when talking about uh, potential transfer quarterbacks for Oregon State to add, he asks, what about quarterback transfer Jabari Johnson? I assume it is. It's G-A-B-A-R-R-I, Jabari Johnson from Missouri. Greg Biggins gave him a crystal ball to Oregon State, but it's been pretty quiet. The guy's an amazing runner. So he does have a crystal ball to Oregon State on 24-7 sports. It has definitely flown under the radar, although Trent Bray, Oregon State head football coach tweeted out the beaver emoji and the lock, which every coach going back to, you know, the younger coaches being more media savvy in some instances comes up with his own way to let people know that a commitment has come about. And then that draws people to the internet and then they get buzzing and talking and shows like this one and uh, countless others like it. will start to talk about it on their shows, generates interest around the program. I don't know specifically who he was referring to there because the announcement, to my knowledge, did not come afterwards. But could it be Johnson? Yeah, he, he's a guy that, you know, crystal balls don't get logged by accident. He was a backup at Missouri this year. He's someone who I think is interesting. I, do, I don't know how much he is a fit at Oregon State or Washington State for that matter, but Obviously, we're talking about Oregon State here. I don't know how much of a fit he is with the Beavs unless Ryan Gunderson knows something that I do not. Here's something that I know that you're going to now know. LinkedIn Jobs is the place to go. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy. When you have that many qualified candidates, 
So it's so easy. In fact, over there on LinkedIn, 86%. That's excellent. That's what you call a good solid B. But really, it's you know kind of an A grade because it's such, such a good rate. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. That number is really tough to beat. If you're grading on a curve, I bet you that's an A. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process to hire is intuitive, quick, and easy. That's why you should go check them out. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. So with regards to Jabari Johnson potentially going from Missouri to Oregon State, here's the profile in this guy. He's 5'10", 193 pounds. He's from Tacoma, Washington, so a West Coast kid. Went to Lincoln High School out there. He's got a strong arm. He was a four-star recruit. He's a very capable runner and a dynamic athlete. He redshirted this season, so he's got four years of eligibility left. He was a top 300 player in the 2023 class. He was the number seven dual-threat quarterback. And as I mentioned, he's got the crystal ball to Oregon State. When you look at Oregon State's offense this past year and these past several years, where Trent Bray has been the defensive coordinator, obviously not very involved with the offense in that particular role, but will be more so as the head coach, they have run a pro-style system and they've had pro-style passers for the last couple of years. DJ Uyunglele and you know Childs had some mobility, but is certainly someone who I, I think is best suited to make plays from the pocket and not have running as a primary feature of what he does, but mobility, certainly a feature of, uh, of what he does. But both of those guys and Ben Goldbranson as well are on the taller side of things. When you look at Johnson on film, he looks the way he is listed at five foot 10 and he's a fantastic athlete. And I think if he ends up being the transfer quarterback that Oregon State brings in, and I think Malik Murphy of Texas is still going to be their top target. That would represent potentially a change of offense stylistically because Trent Bray is a defensive coordinator. He's got no saying what's happening on offense. Even though he's a former DC as a head coach, you still have a lot of say over what your team does offensively, how you want it to look, what your philosophy is, what sort of plays and concepts that you want to have in there. He's just not the guy that's dialing up the plays. But if he brings in Johnson and they they don't get Malik Murphy and Johnson is the transfer quarterback that they land this cycle with Goldbranson potentially as the backup again next year, you could see an entirely different Oregon State offense, one that we've really never seen them try to run before. They have always been a pro-style, under-center, 12-personnel, power-running kind of football team. Go back to the Mike Riley days. You look at Jonathan Smith's tenure. That's what they have always been. Maybe Bray is thinking of spicing it up. Maybe that's what Coach Gunderson is thinking of doing next year. I don't know. You got to have the personnel do that sort of stuff. But if they feel that they can, you know, put an offense together that matches Johnson's skill set and that spread sort of attack, Maybe that's what they end up doing. Speaking of transfers, this one is official, not the Jabari Johnson one, the Anthony Woods transfer. So Jaquindon Jackson, I believe, went into the transfer portal for Utah, the running back. And I saw that and went, well, that's curious because I thought he would be the number one back again next year. Well, turns out Utah has got a plan. So they get Anthony Woods out of Idaho and he had a very productive season was over a thousand yards and 14 touchdowns. He is an extremely physical, but explosive runner and fills the void left by Jaquinda Jackson. 
almost immediately. So I, I saw that addition, and I think that he was somebody who I was surprised that he transferred. But then when Anthony Woods came in, it was less surprising. I don't know if I have an inclination one way or the other as to whether or not it was a team-initiated move or a player-initiated move. But once again, Utah, no matter what, is going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine. I think that Anthony Woods guy is really good. And the last two FCS running backs from that conference, the Big Sky, to transfer to the Pac-12, Isaiah Fonse at Cal, Cameron Scadaboo at Arizona State, both guys, absolute home runs at the running back position. As Utah goes into the Big 12, and I've got them as the favorite next year, I think that that guy's going to be at the center of what they do, and he is going to have a really, really good year. Remember that name if you're a college football fan, Anthony Woods. Could very well be a 1,000-yard rusher next year in Salt Lake City. Speaking of recruiting, let's go to the traditional sense and look at uh, the high school classes. It is National Signing Day as this show is coming out after all. And I have a couple of just kind of thoughts and predictions on uh, current Pac-12 schools and where their classes are at and where they could end up being. So two schools that I think are lower in the high school recruiting rankings for 2024 than I expected them to be that I feel like will finish higher. Now, I do not have intel as to players that they could potentially land. I am speaking as to what the coaching staff has done and what they are capable of doing. I think that Washington, with the number 38 class in the country, and Arizona at the number 49 class in the country, could see the biggest moves upward. Now, National Signing Day can often be referred to kind of as flip day or flip season. You can see a lot of names move here or there. I would not be surprised in the slightest if Washington and Arizona are able to get a couple of players because the Huskies are going to play on New Year's Day in a national playoff semifinal. That tends to get teams' attention. Arizona is going to play in the Alamo Bowl in a great matchup against Oklahoma for a chance to win their seventh consecutive game. With what Jed Fish has shown on the recruiting trail over the last couple seasons, I would be pretty surprised if they finish around the 50th best class in the country in 2024. If February 2nd or whenever the next signing window is comes or this next signing day is comes around and Arizona is still in the high 40s for their recruiting ranking, I'll be pretty surprised. If Washington's still in the high 30s, I'll also be surprised. And I just think that the momentum around both of those programs right now is so high and they've got some good talent in state for their high school recruiting base. Those are two two classes that I would think could take leaps forward. But anything could happen. Maybe they go in uh, in the other direction. I'm just curious to see how those two play out because those are those classes are much lower ranked than I would think based on how their teams actually played on the field this season and the attention that they got. I mean, Washington had a Heisman finalist, at quarterback. They've got their quarterback for next year and Will Rogers from Mississippi State. Arizona knows who their quarterback is going to be. A lot of upward momentum with the Wildcats. Uh, stoked to watch them in the Alamo Bowl against Oklahoma. A couple other ones. Jake Dickert has got Washington State at the 61st ranked class in the country, which doesn't sound like a lot. He's currently got him ranked ahead of Colorado and UCLA. 
I don't know if they're going to have that sort of success in the transfer portal. So the composite class for 2024 might not be higher. But Jake Dickert has continued to work. And I see him post on social media, it feels like every day, that he's on the road recruiting, that he's getting commitments here and there and whatnot. I think that he is someone who values recruiting as much as you can up in Pullman. And you have a certain ceiling, especially now that they've been, you know, essentially demoted, which of course sucks and is wrong. If he pulls up a top 50 class, I think that'd be a pretty remarkable achievement. But being ahead of other power schools right now at Washington State, I think is a testament to what, you know, Dickert can continue to do there. And I continue to be a Jake Dickert fan. I think, you know, maybe they go with with their backup quarterback from this season. I think they probably need to bring a transfer. But I think that Dickert just continuing to work that hard, I'm, I am I, I think he's just doing a fantastic job as best he can when he's been dealt a pretty bad hand. And when you don't play in a bowl game, by the way, you have a chance to go and, and hit the trail hard. He has taken uh, every opportunity to do just that. Oregon State is all the way down at uh, 115th in the country. Only 11 total commits. Six of them are three stars. Five of them are rated lower than that. That's another one that I think can move. I, I will I will again be surprised, though I expect Trent Bray to you know focus on the transfer portal as well. With Washington State at 61, I don't know how Oregon State coming off a better season would finish outside the top 100 there. I, again, I don't expect them to be super high, but with Arizona, Washington, I think that Oregon State uh, could climb substantially. And they only, they only only have 11 total commits right now. And I think as they've kind of you know gained stability with the legal situation and their schedule as well, I, I think all that trends towards you know that can move in a positive direction. And then the last question I have for current PAC uh, schools, but future members of other conferences, of course, is Stanford, which once upon a time was inside the top twenty, has uh, fallen down a bit to number thirty-one nationally. But the guy they've been able to keep committed is Elijah Brown, the highly rated four-star quarterback from Modern Day High School in Southern California. If they keep him committed and he signs on uh, in the early signing window to go play football for Stanford, Troy Taylor going into the ACC, that'd be some serious momentum on the trail. And I think eventually he's going to do a good job. Talent acquisition is really tough there. But if he keeps recruiting at a top 30 level, I think Troy Taylor is, is a pretty, pretty competent in-game coach. And I think Stanford may, might not be able to become a conference power again, but could at least be relevant as they go to the ACC. Appreciate you listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.